Everything you need is within you. Together, we will explore and deepen our innate connection back to self and spirit. We are the Oracles. We are the Oracles. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to our podcast, Magical Teas with the Oracles. We are your hosts, Ali and Arlene. And in this episode, we will discuss what is self and ways to connect to self. But before we get started, let's do a quick check-in. Ali, how are you doing? Hey, everyone. This is Ali. I am doing well. Today is my 30th solar return. So I've been taking it easy this week, working on creations that I have had in mind for a while and just allowing my body, my mind and soul to fully embrace the death and rebirth process that I am currently going through with the death of my 20s and then entering into my 30s. So how about you, Arlene? How are you doing? So before I answer that question, I just want to congratulate Allie for her 30th solar return. It's it's definitely a new chapter. 30s are, I want to say, way better than your 20s. Welcome to the club. But other than that, I'm, I'm doing well. This week has gone by incredibly fast, and I'm just so excited to be here recording the second episode with you. Yes, I'm excited to our second episode. So all right, let's get into today's discussion, connecting to self. What is self and what is our definition of self? So the Hoffman Institute lists on their website that your spiritual self is you in your most beautiful and powerful form. It is the authentic self, the unconditional part, the you without patterns. They also say some may identify with higher self, the universe, God, higher power, your inner Buddha, your true being. It's a part of you that is connected to everything, the part that is love. Ali, what's your definition of self? A a book I've been reading called The Woman Who Glows in the Dark by Elena Avila gives a good example of what soul and spirit is. Soul in her terms is self. Here's an expert from her book. A lot of people are confused about the difference between the, the soul and the spirit. Basically, the spirit is the envelope that protects the soul from harm. If the spirit is relatively healthy, the soul will be too. How do we keep our spirit in good health? In the tradition taught to me by the Aztec teachers, the spirit is a part of us, is the sum total of our nutritional habits. Whether good or bad is the energy generated from our feelings, whether balanced or unbalanced, and the energy is created by our thoughts. The spirit is also the sum of our education and our intentions and the part of our being that connects us to the great spirit. A strong spirit buffers negative outside influences, much as the skin of our fruit protects the fruit from decay and certain insects. The way that we care for our spirit and the life decisions that we make either consciously or unconsciously are what determine whether we have a healthy or unhealthy relationship with self, family, community, and all living things. I like the fact that she shares teachings that she learned from her Aztec teachers. It's it's information, it's knowledge that is not easily available. So whenever we come across information from our ancestors, it's kind of like a, a nod to, to our roots and our cultures. So. so with that in mind, Ali, what is your definition of connection to self? And why do you think it's important to your spiritual path? 
My definition of connecting to self is becoming aware of who you are, who you actually are, and learning from each aspect that makes you you. Connecting to self can be challenging, but you know, it's a rewarding journey that all of us have a luxury of taking, but few of us do because of the the challenges or just not wanting to look past the illusions that we live in so, you know, comfortably. I believe connecting to self is important because the moment you become whole, the moment where you remember who you actually are and why you're living in this reality opens you up to endless possibilities of life. Everything that seems unattainable is now attainable. All the lies that were painted as truth, you know, are now seen for what they are. All the headaches and joys that you experienced through your life so far become clear to why you actually experience those. It's important because it's the foundation of your spiritual path. If your foundation, like a house, is solid, um, it's not going to go nowhere. So that's why I feel like connecting to self is important. What about you, Arlene? I feel that connection to self is something that we have to do each and every day. And so connecting to self, an aspect of that is is self-care, right? It requires you to check in with yourself and ask how you're doing and what your body is asking for also. So for me, connecting to self is connecting to your essence, that which makes you so incredibly and uniquely you. The part that is curious and passionate, the part that makes you giggle when the waves of the ocean gently toss you around while the sun rays kiss your skin. It's the part that notices how the leaves sway as they fall to the ground. The part that makes you feel safe, sufficient, and happy for being alive. It's a part that makes your heart grow with love. And I think it's, I think connecting to self is incredibly important because throughout our lives, we go through various different stages of trauma. And with each and every experience, we lose a part of ourselves. So when I try and do exercises of retrieving my lost pieces of myself, it's important that I create a loving space that myself will want to come back to. Otherwise, myself is going to say no and ask, why do you want me to go back again? There's absolutely no space for me to go back, so I don't need to go back. Another reason why connecting to self is important is because it is then when we are reminded why we are here, and that's to connect with self is connecting to essence, yes, but also to connect with our destiny to ascend and live all at the same time. Yes, I love how you, the imagery you gave with the parts that make you giggle when the waves of the ocean gently toss you around. And you know, those are actually examples that I have used or what I what I said are actually things that I've lived through. And so when I was when I was thinking about the answer, I was like, what what is connecting to self? Like have I intentionally done it or not? And and when I was thinking about what to say, those images came to mind. And it's it's for me, it's connecting to myself, to to who I am really, what makes me happy. And it's always been the simple things, the little things, right? Like swimming in the ocean or just laying on the floor and watching how the wind, the breeze ruffle through the leaves of the tree. I don't know if you've seen the movie, what is it called? Jazz, I think, or Soul. Soul that's on, I believe, Disney. Have you seen it yet? Yeah, I've seen it. And and so there's this part that I can't remember who said it, but I want to say that the the guy who was in it, he said, you know, I'm just jazzing. You know, their definition of I'm just living. Mm -hmm. And like a flow of energy. I love jazz. Especially like blues jazz. 
So a little love note before we continue, the information shared in this episode is based off of our research and experiences. We encourage you to do your own research on the topics mentioned in this episode. Yes. All right. For a little refresher, we went over what is self, why is it important to connect to self? Now you may ask, what are the different aspects of connecting to self? Which leads us into our next bit, self-care. What does science say about self-care? A 2010 study published in the JBL Library of Systematic Reviews defined self-care as the set of activities in which one engages throughout life on a daily basis, focusing on promoting health, preventing illness, and managing issues that come up. Another study published in BMC Palliative Care in April 2018 took self-care to mean the self-initiated behavior that people choose to incorporate to promote good health and general well-being. So after hearing the scientific definition of self-care, how do we, the oracles, define self-care and why is it important in our spiritual path? So one thing to point out before we go ahead and go into this is that self-care is not synonymous with self-indulgence or being selfish contrary to popular belief. Self-care includes everything related to staying healthy, whether it's physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. Self-care does not mean the same thing for everyone, as different people will adapt to self-care practices, and their definition of self-care might change over time. A quote that we want to share from Esoteric Essa's social media page is, a lot of people are obsessed with ascending, but have yet mastered grounding. So, Ali, what are your thoughts on self-care and how do you define it? Yes, uh, I wanted to just go back to the part of the how people are obsessed with ascending and but not have yes mastered as grounding. And that is very important. I want you to keep that in your mind while we go through the rest of um, today's episode. But my thoughts on on self-care and how I defined it. I define self-care as something that I created personally for myself. I incorporate the different aspects of myself to to guide me in my self-care. Um, self-care to me is doing things that bring me happiness. Self-care to me is putting myself first and making sure that I'm good before I can assist others. Like when you're on an airplane, they teach you when those little things fall down. They teach you to put your mask on first before you put your mask on, on your children. Because if you pass out, who's going to save your kids? So I try to keep that in mind when I'm thinking about things I got to do. But in my role as a mom and as a partner, I can easily get lost in the things I got to do for others. And when the girls were little, I had to do most of the things for them. And it, I always felt like I couldn't get things done. And so now that they're getting older, I am able to do the things that I'm passionate about that I had put on the back burner. I'm pretty sure a lot of other parents can kind of relate to that. Creating a self-care routine and sticking with it is something that I'm currently working on and will continue to work on. So it becomes a habit. Self-care to me looks like spending time alone. Doesn't matter if it's just a few minutes, but getting that time to recollect myself before I approach a situation or go and deal with things that are out of my control. Self-care looks like to me pulling, pulling out my art supplies and working on a piece I have been thinking about in my mind's eye for like weeks. Self-care to me is listening to music and to help redirect my energy, especially when I'm feeling down or upset. Self-care to me is also 
reading a book, even when there's dishes piling, laundry just keeps going. I get about those and just read that chapter. And self-care to me is resting. Resting is something that I work on daily. I feel like sometimes I don't know how to rest. I have a habit of going and going and feeling like I'm constantly on the go. But when I do rest, I feel lazy. So it's a constant battle that I am working toward every day to not put myself down for resting. All right, with all that being said, we will take a quick break. The information shared on this podcast is based on Allie and Arlene's experiences, opinions, and research done beforehand. Neither Allie or Arlene are licensed practitioners. We advise you to do your own research on each topic mentioned. We are not responsible for your stupidity. We are back. Thank you for tuning in to our first half of this episode. Now we will go into connecting to self, such as self-cleansing, forms of meditation, discernment, and inner child healing. The first aspect that we will discuss is self-cleansing. What are ways we self-cleanse? So one of the many things that I do, <laughs> I, I like to clean my home. So self-cleansing is important for me because it helps in removing negative energy from my space. So one of the things that I do for self-cleansing is it's going to sound a little weird, but I love lotions. I like to take baths. I like to use anointed oils after I shower. So I like to, I like to take showers. I like to stay clean. And physically speaking, that is a way that I I'm able to self-cleanse every morning, every day. Whenever I feel that I need to take a shower, then I'll take a shower, as weird as it sounds. But one of the reasons why I like to, to take a shower, be clean, and to keep my home and space clean is because by doing that, I am removing negative energy from my space, from my immediate and from my surrounding space. And whenever we cleanse, we remove negative energy and invite and make space for positive energy. By doing so, we are creating an environment that allows us to connect with our higher self with more ease. We are creating space to usher in the best version of ourselves. And so whenever I'm doing either or, whether it's I'm taking a shower or cleansing my space, I like to do that with intention. And you can practice this at any time. You can do it when you wake up in the morning. You can do it when you're getting ready to go out to work, to go out in general, when you're driving to work or driving anywhere, when you're drinking your coffee or tea in the morning. My go-to for self-care is morning routines. Energy needs direction. And so it goes wherever we direct it. So by starting my day off intentionally, directing my energy where I want it to go, it is absolutely important because it brings in the energy I wish to have in my space. What I do for my morning routines, I start off my day with doing some light yoga, pulling a card, which I use to connect with my spiritual guides. They advise me on the type of energy that I will be working for that day. I will be working with that day. 
I journal for about five, 10 minutes. I meditate for seven minutes. And within that meditation, I visualize my day, what I want to accomplish, what I would like to happen. And believe it or not, after doing it for about a week, the first week, I started to notice a difference. And I started to to kind of like see how my, my day played out based off of the meditation that I did earlier that day. So by preparing for the day, I want to have with my intention, I am directing the energy around me. By self-cleansing, I'm able to remove the energy that I don't want and invite in the energy that I want. And when it's there, I get to redirect it. Another way of self-care we wanted to to discuss on this podcast is self-protection. And so I'll go ahead and let Allie talk about this because she is far more knowledgeable about spell work than I am. So Allie, tell us about spell work. How do you use it to protect yourself or self-care? What do you do? For self-cleansing and self-protection, I first like to cleanse my space, especially when the house hasn't been cleansed lately. And ways I like to do that is with incense, um, with music. I also feel like a self-cleansing is cleansing your altar space, especially when you're wanting to do a spell or cast anything. Also, I love taking long showers. Just like you mentioned, Arlene, When you are going to spirit or casting a spell for self-love, whatever it is, you always want to go clean. So taking the extra time to put that intention for that shower or that bath is ways that I like to do a self-cleanse. I also like to do yoni steams. We are both wound carriers and we hold a lot of our trauma and a lot of energy in our wound space. So cleansing, doing a yoni steam at least once a month has been very helpful for me. For self-protection, the type of spells I like to do are candle magic. Candle magic is fire and fire is a active element. So it's very quick. So I like to dress my candles in intention-based herbs. So if I am wanting to manifest money into my life, I will use herbs that are associated with money and wealth. And I don't just want to bring in it quickly. I want it to bring in it continuously. So using those types of herbs. Also, I want to touch on a part of self-cleansing is cleansing your space. Like how Arlene said, she enjoys cleansing her home. And that is a big form of self-cleansing because your space is where you feel safe, is where you can be you. So removing those energies that were there before, especially if you live in an apartment and that dwelling has had many people and all that energy that has been there for a while. So cleansing that space with incense, with smoke, with prayer, and then also doing floor washes. Those are my favorite ways to cleanse my space and also creating spell jars. You get creative, find items that correlate with your intention and and then also making sigils. I like to use for protection, especially for my home. So those are actually all very helpful. I know you've been, you have been trying to get me to do a yoni steam for for a hot minute and I just never get around to it but it's like you said and it's something that I never realized is that because we are womb carriers right because we have wombs we do tend to carry a lot of of the trauma that we experience in our life and even in in utero and so 
I, I'm going to try it. I promise. <laughs> I just don't know when yet. But I like that you, you know, mentioned candle work. You mentioned um, working with herbs because it reminded me of a quote that I came across a while back. And essentially what you're doing with the spell work is you're putting intention into action. And so you are bringing in what you are thinking about from your mind and you are bringing it in to this 3D in a different way other than just saying it vocally. You're actually putting action to it. So I think that's really interesting. Ways that I like to do self-care or home protection is is I, I want to say that we're we're very similar in what we do. So I apologize to the audience for for sounding too repetitive, but I, I also like to do I perform smoke cleanses. I open the windows. I have like so many windows in my apartment and mm-hmm. I like to open all of them just to let out the stagnant air that's in there and just to like let fresh air in. I also like to turn on music because it puts me in the mood. One of the things that I want to really emphasize is that intention is key. And so everything that you do should be carried out, or I highly encourage that you carry it out with intention. Music, if you put on music to get you in a better mood, if you intentionally open the windows to let in the, the fresh air or the rays of the sun, you know, just have that intention with you from the moment you wake up until the moment you go to sleep. So for me, intention is key. Okay, so another form of self-care that we have agreed on is body movement. And the reason why we think body movement is so important is because your body is a reflection of your mind and vice versa. And so much of what we experience throughout our lives is also experienced by our body. It's important to move when we feel heavy emotions like sadness, anger, or frustration. Why? Because it's energy that your body is trying to deal with. And so by movement, we are assisting our bodies to resolve and release. There is a saying that that I came across a couple of years ago, and it resonated with me entirely. It goes, the issues are in the tissues. And if emotions do not find an outlet, they will remain in your body. So what, what do I do? I like to walk, weight lift, yoga, dance. Movement allows us to appreciate our body. It is healing and it relives, relieves stress. What are your ways to include movement into your life? The ways that I include movement into my life is by dancing, by listening to music and just letting the energy and the vibes from that music flow through me. I love music and dancing is always a form that I've enjoyed to express myself also walking going out into nature and just listening to the birds listening to the animals and also uh riding my bike which I need to get back into but I just enjoyed that breeze that you feel when you're riding your bike and it's not so hot here in Texas our next aspect of connecting to self is grounding grounding is way of connecting and anchoring yourself back to mother earth it's like recharging yourself it's when you're feeling like you're flying away grounding yourself back and rooting yourself so you can reconnect your thoughts back together how do you implement grounding in your spiritual path so i i notice that whenever i go to to public places like the mall or or when i used to right cuz 
I haven't done that in a long time. I noticed that whenever I'd go out to stores or to the mall or to a movie theater, it's like I felt that like I was floating away. And I remember the first time that I felt that I was, I, I don't know, I've, I think I was around 11 years old. I was in Sam's and I was walking down an aisle and I just felt like I was really lightheaded. I felt like my spirit was coming out of my body. I don't know. It was, it was so weird. I don't remember, not that I don't remember, but I didn't know what was going on. And I didn't know what was going on until years later when I discovered grounding. And so what grounding means for me is anchoring, anchoring my soul or my spirit into my body. And from there, anchoring to Mother Earth and just kind of like maintaining myself in my body, feeling my body and just grounding into Mother Earth and just holding myself onto her. And what I have, or rather by doing that, Mother Earth provides the protection that I need in order to stay and remain in my body and do what I need to do for that time being. So one thing that I do is I ground before I leave anywhere. I ground before I go to places that are going to be so incredibly hectic that I'm just going to feel so overwhelmed with everything. Because one thing is, as an empath, I feel emotions that are not mine. I feel sensations that are not mine. And so I'm easily pulled in all these directions when I go out. So one of the one of the places that I avoid 1000% every single time is I avoid going to the mall during the holiday season because a lot of people don't know what they want, don't know what to get, don't know the size, have so much that they need to get that they're so overwhelmed. And so after like about five minutes, sometimes just even like entering that space, I could feel the waves just hit me as I'm entering. And so in order to avoid that, I just ground myself, I put up my protective shield, and I just continue with what I already plan on doing. But grounding is something that I do on a daily basis. And it's definitely helped me. And it's something that I recommend for anybody who who just kind of like wants to try that out and just feels like it's something that they need to do as well. When you were talking about when you were younger and the way you felt at being at Sam's, I remember around the time was that free season that day, that weekend, it was so packed. And that was like the only day we went to go get our school clothes. And I would get so anxious and irritable being at the store. And I didn't, I just thought I was just frustrated because we were there all day. But the older I got, I realized being around certain people in certain areas made me nervous and then also like you mentioned going to the mall seeing how people have been like shooting up malls and doing these things those thoughts run through my mind so I'm very like aware when I'm at those places what's going on and it is so overwhelming um so I do a lot of online shopping but grounding for me is going outside and actually putting my feet into the ground especially now that it's springtime I like to spend a lot of time outside especially around this time it's not as bad with the bugs and the heat I try to enjoy that and even when it is hot I just go and sit outside put my feet in the ground and just allow the energy to flow through my feet into my body to reconnect I also like to ground when when I leave the house like Arlene said 
when I'm feeling frustrated because there's so much going on in my house with my kids and my partner. And I just feel like I have no control of that. So I try to take deep breaths and reconnect and imagine, well, not imagine, but visualize in my mind roots from earth, from mother earth connecting to me, no matter where I'm at, even if I'm in a, um, a tall building or in, just in my apartment, I visualize it. I always feel better once I've done that. And I always try to be mindful of doing it more often and not allowing my emotions, you know, get the best of me. Yeah, for sure. Because if you don't, if you don't have the the capacity to distinguish your emotions from other people's emotions, it's so easy for, for us to get carried away and just run with emotions that may or may not be ours. So if, if you feel like you randomly are upset or just angry, like randomly feeling an emotion that if you think about it, if you sit down and think about it and you're like, wait, where does this emotion come from? Why am I sad all of a sudden? Why am I angry all of a sudden? Like all I was doing is sitting down, having my lunch and I'm pissed what's going on. So take that time when you realize what's going on, take that time to ground and just kind of like differentiate your energies with someone else's energies that might be close by. Mm -hmm. And so I'm actually happy, happy that you mentioned breath work a little while ago, because that's actually our next subject. Another way to connect yourself is through breath work. Breath work is a vital part of life. And so if you have ever been to a yoga class, you've heard an instructor remind you to control your breath. And so in the ancient yoga teachings, the practice of directing the breath is called pranayama. And it teaches you to breathe consciously with awareness and intent. Some benefits of breath work are 70% of toxins are released simply by breathing properly. It releases tension, elevates your mood, processes emotions, increases self-awareness. And so one technique that is well-known, you may or may not have heard it, is the box breathing method. And what it is, it's you inhale for four seconds. You hold your breath for four seconds, you exhale for four seconds, and after the exhale, you hold for four seconds. And so you repeat that as long as you feel you need to. And so if you want to try something simple, what you can do is just focus on your breath, focus on your inhale and your exhale, and just try that for a couple of minutes and you'll notice a complete difference on how you felt prior to your breathing exercise. And so another thing to note is when you're doing these breathing exercises, for most of them, for some of them, breathing through your mouth, what it actually does, it heats your body up. It, it sends signals to heat your body, activates the sympathetic nervous system, which rules the fight or flight response. It's just better if you breathe through your nose than your mouth. So real quick, I remember a couple of years back, I realized that I was holding my breath when I was stressed or when I was frustrated. And I didn't realize that I was doing that until my lungs were like, yo, you need to take a breath because we're about to like collapse on you. And so it's important to just that in mind because breathing is an important part of our lives, an important part of our existence, really. And so if we do that intentionally and we practice breath work every morning, every evening, whenever, you will notice that the benefits are much greater than not practicing it. So Ali, do you practice any form of breath work or? 
How does uh, that look for you? In a way, yes. In a way, no. I don't know all the special breath work. I have asthma. So experiencing asthma attacks and then growing up and experiencing panic attacks, I learned to breathe in my nose and out my mouth repeatedly until my heart has calmed down. Um, I noticed when I started having panic attacks, it was like an energy buildup. And either if I didn't control my breathing and my heart rate, it was going to take over me. So either I was going to pass out or throw up. So during that time of feeling that energy buildup, I would breathe in my nose and out my mouth continuously and then force, like if I need to push it out and then suck it in really quickly and, and then push it out more. So it feels like it's all the way out. I would do that until the panic attack ended Sometimes I would have to just fully go through the panic attack and allow myself to express that, that energy. So within throwing up and a lot of times I would feel better, but learning that type of breathing is really helped me uh, when I had those type of attacks. And one thing that I forgot to mention is if you are pregnant, it's best that you wait until after you give birth to try any type of breath work. And the reason being is when you try breath work, it alkalines your body. And so although it's good for, for adults, it's not so good for babies that are still, <laughs> are still baking, <laughs> are still baking. It's not so good for, for babies that are still baking. When I was pregnant with the girls, this is my anxiety was something that I really worried about, especially delivering, especially with my oldest. Um, my mom put me in this class called the Briley Method class. And it was, I don't know how many weeks, it was 12 weeks. And we went, I think twice a week. And we learned different techniques to aid us through labor. And a lot of it went out the door the moment you go into labor. But the key points kind of stuck. So I remember when you were talking about holding your breath, when you're going through labor, you can't hold your breath because the, and the pain hurts more. So allowing yourself to breathe it out and not tense really would help. And so once I had my second one, I went back and looked through my notes of the Bradley class. And that really helped with my anxiety and learning those breathing techniques, even though they were very subtle. I totally agree. It's breath work is, is definitely helpful in, in a lot of situations. So if that's something that you want to try, I recommend looking up what the best method for you is and whatever resonates with you. Yes. And then also look for a registered respiratory therapist, somebody that understands the lungs medically, and they'll be able to assist you better and give you more guidance and ways that suit your lungs and your body. The next topic we wanted to discuss is discernment. What is discernment? So discernment, it's a big part special of connecting to self because it's the ability to judge well. In the Christian context, perception in the absence of judgment with a view to obtaining spiritual guidance and understanding. The main difference between wisdom and discernment Wisdom is a deep understanding of or knowledge of a subject, and discernment is the activity of determining the value and quality of a certain subject. So wisdom is the understanding, and discernment is the ability to know if what you're being told is true. 
So for our listeners who are not familiar with discernment, what are some examples of or ways of how you use discernment? By observing others, about asking questions. I'm a big person. I question everything. My mom raised me on this quote saying, questions reveal answers. Questions solve problems. Questions determine how we think, feel, and act. So when we ask questions, we are able to get a deeper understanding of what is actually going on. And I love to observe people, watching people, how they interact with each other, and then also taking information they have learned and seeing what they do with it has helped me a lot with my discernment. And then also researching. Like I said, I question everything. So when I'm told something, I go and look for it for myself. And that has really helped me to build my discernment. And then also understanding the energies that are around you. Because you could tell when somebody's lying to you before they express it in a different way, despite the energy that they are sending out and not realizing it. What are your ways, Arlene, that you use discernment in your spiritual path? So my responses are very similar, observant, and just like the gut feeling. And I'll share. So my sister likes to, she likes to joke around at the fact that I'm just very observant. And so she'll always tell the story of, I don't know, we were kids. I was like, what, like two or something. I don't know. And they were like six or eight, however old they were. And I would just sit in the corner and just watch them either fight each other, my brother, my sister, or argue. And so my eyes would dart from one side of the room to the next and then back and then back. I guess it's something that I've had since birth. I am completely comfortable sitting in the corner of the room and just observing what everybody else is doing, what everybody else is saying, and then how they're reacting to to what's going on. And so that's definitely one of the my biggest ways that I use discernment because actions do speak louder than words. And so it's important to take what someone tells you at face value, but then also to pay attention mainly to what they do. And another way that I use discernment is my gut feeling. The impression that you get when you meet someone or when someone is telling you something or when someone is doing something like the initial thought, initial sensation that you get, more often than not, it's always right. And so it's important to just pay attention to that. Listen to your body and see what's telling you because our spiritual guides also deliver message to us through the sensations that we get through our body, like the downloads, the thoughts that we have. And so it's important to also listen to your body because you're also listening to your spiritual guides. And so for those who want to practice discernment, I recommend just paying attention to, to their gut instincts and just questioning everything. That's a good start. Question everything. No matter who is coming from, question it. Go do your research. Even us, yes. Even if if whatever whatever it is that we're saying, like question that too. Just do your research and just find out for yourself. Alrighty. So for our last aspect that we will be discussing today is inner child healing. What is inner child and why is it important to heal that part of yourself? So inner child healing is actually, I want to say one of the most sensitive topics that we're discussing. And it should always, always be approached with caution. And so the inner child is a stored memory within the mind and body that creates a lens through which we experience our adult world. 
as we mature, we realize that although our parents did the best that they could with the time and resources that they had, sometimes our needs as children were not met. They could range from physical needs, emotional, spiritual needs that oftentimes our stressed, distracted, and anxious parent figures couldn't meet. And so if the relationship's in our early lives weren't secure, meaning our needs weren't met, our adult relationships will also be insecure, causing a wounded inner child. And when I'm referring to the inner child, I am referring to our childhood years, specifically from birth to seven years. During those years, we create our core beliefs, our self-image, our future relationship dynamics, and the ability to regulate our emotional state, which creates our behavior and habits. Signs of a wounded inner child are lack of trust in self and others, insecurity, low self-worth, difficulty with feelings and expressing emotions, lack of boundaries, consistently betraying yourself in your relationship with others and yourself, and a childlike view of relationships, meaning you are expecting to be fixed or to be saved. And so our wounded inner child is most activated when something we experience touches our past wounding and affirms a core belief from that wounding. So inner child healing focuses on uncovering and releasing the causes for the childlike aspects of your personality. So you can react to challenges in your adult life as an adult rather than approach it from a kid's perspective. And so this is what makes inner child work so powerful is the fact that it allows us to transform and heal parts of ourselves that weren't seen, heard, or able to be fully expressed. And how do we begin inner child healing? So the first step in healing the inner child is to acknowledge that there's a part of you that has been wounded. Often our adult self diminishes this wounding. And so we will tell each other or tell ourselves rather that it's not a big deal. It wasn't so bad as an attempt to protect ourselves from that wounding. Acknowledging everything that your inner child witnessed and share that you are now your own wise, loving parent who will make choices for your best interest. You can begin by setting boundaries because lack of boundaries or violation of boundaries cause deep inner child wounding. And so one thing to really keep in mind is if the experience was too painful, we encourage you to seek a licensed practitioner to help you move through that experience and to heal from it. So ways I like to approach my inner child, what I've tried once is I've started with a memory that was not painful, but did upset me a little. And so what I did was I I visualized myself going back to that situation, observing what was going on, not absorbing, because once we absorb what's going on, we absorb the emotions, then we get carried away by our emotions. So it's important for us to, when we go back, and revisit those memories to observe only what's going on. The next thing that I did was I tried to understand the lesson that I needed to learn, whether it was a lesson that I needed to learn or understand that the person involved in that situation needed to learn a lesson, right? Because sometimes it's not about us. Yes, we experience that situation, but sometimes it's not about us. It's about the other person. And that memory, although we're wounded by it, the universe is giving that other person the opportunity to react a certain way. And that person chose to react in the way that they should have or the way that they shouldn't have. So 
understanding that not all of our memories, as hurtful as they are, are about us is also a different way to look at it. Once I have learned the lesson from that experience, uh, what I like to do is I like to go up to myself and I like to encourage my younger self and assure her that everything will turn out better than what it is now. I also like to just kind of care for her and tell her something that I would have liked to have been told in that situation. What about you, Ellie? Have you had any experience in inner child wounding? Well, my experience with inner child healing, um, I haven't seen a licensed practitioner for any of my healing so far, but I do want to in the future to go through certain parts of my life. But as of now, I like to look at the traumas that I know that have kind of hurt me from growing up till now and thinking about what happened, trying to look at it different perspective so I can understand it better and understand why I made that decision, why I had to go through that lesson and what did I actually learn from that. It can be going through those memories, the thoughts that come in, like how, why did I do all that? And so really understanding what I went through and understanding that is the past and I can't change any of that, but I can, I can change my perspective and how am I going to let it affect me and how am I going to react to it? Inner child healing is something that I try to be very cautious of, especially as a a parent of two young daughters. They're at this age where this part determines of how they're going to be as adults. And so I try to be mindful of how I react to certain things, how I say certain things to them. So you don't have that trauma to deal with when they get older. I also, since they were little, I've always been very open with them and expressed to them to be open with me and allowing them to be vocal and telling me when, you know, when I said something that was hurtful, bringing things to my attention so I can redirect myself and then apologize. I feel like a lot of our hurt, if, if the person that hurt us apologize and acknowledge what the hell they done to us, our healing becomes better. So I try to be mindful of that, raising my two daughters and making sure that whatever inner child healing that I needed to go through, I learn from it so my children don't have to repeat the same pattern. And you know what? I actually find that very admirable of you because you have a open and clear channel of communication with your daughters. And so unfortunately, our parents may or may not have had that open channel of communication because their parents had no channel of communication. And so if you look at two generations ago, they would tell their kids, no, and I'm not giving you an explanation. You just have to do this because I said so. And so for a child to not be told the reason behind it, then it's very confusing. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the older generations, they view children as little people that don't really understand what's going on. But just because we were five or four or three doesn't mean that we didn't understand at some level what was going on without anybody telling us what was going on. And so the fact that you have an open channel of communication, I, I think that that's incredible because not everybody has that. And like you said, you're able to learn from what you've gone through of how you were treated. And because 
you didn't enjoy being treated that way, then you're treating your daughters with more, I want to say respect than what older generations have treated us. Yeah, because the older generations feel like that children should be seen but not heard. Same as women, they should be in the background and, you know, silent. Once I had, once I had my oldest and then her growing and asking questions, it was easier to explain to her in her way that her mind at that age could understand. I've always been open with her and I did that. So when they get older and become teenagers, they will already feel comfortable with me to tell me their secrets, you know, because I know when we get to 13 and up or even 10, 11, you know, they start holding secrets within them. And I've always taught them when they're little, something's going on and you're trying to hold it in and keep it a secret. It's going to eat you alive. So just say it and it won't be as big or scary as you thought it was. And my oldest once she done that, she would feel a lot better. And I would ask her, how do you feel now? Like she would express herself. And my oldest and even my youngest, they talk very well for their age because we've always, since they're little, talked to them as they were adults instead of treating them as these, like you said, these little children that are not smart enough to understand what's going on. But they do. They see and understand a lot. And it's our ignorance as adults to think that way. Yeah, 100%. And I I completely resonated when you said uh, older generations, the way they view children is they want to be seen and not heard because I cannot recall how many times I've seen other children being told, be quiet, don't talk, don't Mm -hmm. laugh, don't sing, don't do anything with your voice. You are much better off if you are quietly sitting in the corner. My response to that is, especially when they're girls, because that's who I have seen receive most of those comments, right? Girls, mm-hmm. it's, you know, the world is going to tell these girls to be quiet because, or that, or rather that their voice doesn't matter because they're girls, they are colored and they just don't matter. So why is it okay for, for a family member or for somebody that they know to tell them that if the world is already going to do that? Instead, take that opportunity and just lift that little girl up because the world is already going to do that. Don't you be a person added to that list? Yeah. And what I've also noticed raising both my daughters is explaining, not just telling them that don't say in this way or don't say that. Explain the way they said it and why it's hurtful and on how they can say it in a way that it's more understanding and it won't hurt the other person. That's why I notice raising my girls and not trying to be like, Hey, shh, or don't say that. Or cause both of them are very vocal. They, you know, children will tell you what they got on their mind and they ain't going to hold back. So redirecting them and showing them healthier ways to express it. So everybody around you can understand and it doesn't hurt anybody. Right. Because you're guiding your girls to the knowledge. You're not just like shutting their doors with a no. You're their guide and you are showing them how to live in the society, how to live in this world and how to respond to it. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, like I said, I think it's very admirable of you to take that approach to your daughters. And I just wish that everybody who listens sees a different perspective on a lot of things, right? But having that open channel of communication take their relationship a long way. Yeah. Especially while judgment, just letting your child tell you who they are, letting them express themselves in any which way. 
because this is the time where they're learning who they are. And I'd rather them learn who they are as children and growing into that than trying to figure out who they are as, as an adult and like having to take all those back steps. We'll see how everything goes when they hit high school and middle school. <laughs> Let's check back. <laughs> I am looking forward to those conversations. <laughs> So these are the topics that we wanted to discuss for ways to connecting to self. But before we end this episode, we wanted to share some resources we found helpful. So researching is a vital part of self-care. Why? Because you need to research some shit. Okay. You can't just walk in the world all ignorant. Okay. You need to go look, go research. Some of the books that I like that are helpful to connecting to self. The first one is Dancing the Dream by Jamie Sams. It's the seven sacred paths of human transformation. It goes through the Native American perspective of connecting to self and also everything around you because Native Americans believe that everything has a spirit. Every single thing in front of you has a spirit. Connecting, honoring, and respecting that and also seeing those energies within you and how you can go through different paths and also be in the two different paths at the same time. Also, another book that I really enjoy is Earth Medicine, also by Jamie Sams. Earth Medicine is a book of guidance from the cycle of the moon. It starts from the first new moon of the year and then trickles down to the last new moon of the year. And each day it gives you guidance uh, from your ancestors, your spirit guides, animal creatures, mother earth, different to help you, you know, get through your day. I like to read them when I'm feeling kind of down or I need to pick me up. I really enjoy it. Another book that I enjoy reading is Woman Who Glow in the Dark by Elena Avila, who I mentioned earlier. She is a registered RN uh, in Kulundera, and she talks about her experience of becoming a RN and then transitioning into the Kulundera field and how she connects your spirit, your body, and your mind all together, despite how modern medicine is. It's a very good read. And then another one that I really like is my last book recommendation is Sophia Code by Kara Ra. And it's a book of activations. It's awakening different parts of yourself. There's affirmations, prayers, connections to different ascended masters. If you don't know what ascended masters are, there are Mary Magdalene, uh, Yeshua, which is Jesus, Hathor, just to name a few. So check those out. And I would love to know what your thoughts were. What are your book recommendations, Arlene? So I don't have an extensive list of book recommendations. I can only recommend one book. The book that I have here is Waking the Tiger by Peter A. Levine. And what Peter does is he explains how to overcome emotions that are stagnant in your body. One side note that I feel it's important to mention is throughout the book, you will come across many, if not thousands of trigger words. If you don't see it in every other sentence, you will see it in every other paragraph. So I just want to go ahead and point that out to you that if you are willing to read this book, just keep that in mind. What I do have is I do have an extensive list of apps. My first app is Insight Timer, and I use that for meditations. It has guided meditations, non-guided meditations. I believe sometimes they even have live meditations. So check that app out. It's called Insight Timer. Another app that I recommend is Think Up. It assists with creating a positive mindset. 
Another app that I have here is the I am app and it's an affirmation app. It sends you daily affirmations. It also has space for you to create your own affirmations. The last app that I have here is the Fit On app. And it's an app that provides free workouts from Pilates, yoga, cardio, kickboxing, dance, and bar. And they even have celebrity workouts facilitated by Gabrielle Union and Jonathan Venice. Check them out and let us know what you think. After hearing our ways to connect to self, our question to you is how do you connect to self? Head over to our IG account at magical with a CK dot T's dot oracles and let us know in the comments of our latest posts. Thank you again for tuning in to our episode about connecting to self. Look out for our upcoming mini series on dreams. Please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. You can also find us on Instagram at magicalteas.oracles.